Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and some nonce that frankly yells about XG, mm. Nathan E. Clark. Hello, Nathan. One of those things is inaccurate. We'll leave it at that. That one is from James Swanston via Abby's app. Uh, we, we might have to call time on the app intros now, because they're going to create an endless loop of, um, oh. of intros that feed into one another and ultimately just become, I don't know, it'll just be Nathan E. Clark. Hello, Nathan. That'll be it by the end, won't it? <laughs> Because it's, it's repeating for... Yeah, you get it. Um, <laughs> it's a Sissoko midfield. Yeah, it is. Um, boys, how are we doing? Not bad, not bad. Yeah, buddy, your manager, your manager's back. Everything's fine in the world. Tottenham are back, Tottenham are winning games. We're okay, everything is okay again. Winning football matches fixes everything, mm. everything. You put, a, you put a plural on, on match there. Okay. <laughs> so, so far we've won one match, so <laughs> steady on. Winning a football match makes everything <laughs> feel good, okay. but winning plural matches is, makes everything even better. That's where it might come unstuck a little. Um, but I mean, let's focus. Let's, let's hone in on the match we, we won. Um, we beat West Brom 2-0, or Brest 1, as Nathan's put here. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Uh, a team who had previously conceded 34 in their previous 12 matches. So, you know, a pretty weak team, but you can only beat what's in front of you. Uh, Bardi, how, what do you think? Well, I, I want to go a little bit behind the curtain here and talk about the how the sausage is made. And you you thought this would be nil-nil. So before we get into West Brom and you tell me how bad West Brom are, explain to me, because I'm quite curious, why did you think it was going to be nil-nil? And were you surprised at how that turned out? Because that's that's I'm curious about you, Chris. I want to know. I want to get inside your your mind. So the reason I thought that we'd draw nil nil with West Brom is because I didn't think that Harry Kane would be playing when I made that prediction, and I still believe it would have been nil nil had Harry Kane not been playing. <laughs> um, basically, I think we are the Harry Kane team now. He's I mean, obviously, he's an insanely wonderful, brilliant player, but the way we play is so utterly reliant on him. And when he wasn't or seemed to not be available, I I just didn't think we'd have it in us to to do anything. But he was, he is, um, touch wood. He came through the match, or he played the whole match. I was going to say he came through it unscathed. We don't know that much yet. Uh, We do know he played the whole match. That's, a, that's probably a good sign. He didn't seem to be um, struggling too much at the end. I didn't think he was moving particularly freely at, at times, but uh, I was pretty relieved that he didn't go down and then get withdrawn. Uh, so I, I'd say that has to be seen as a success at this point. But yeah, that's that's why. That's why I was kind of down on us getting anything against West Brom. And, you know, they, they for, for all they are bad, and they are bad, uh, Big Sam... Aldice does know how to organise a defence and you know he's not been there that long but they looked as good in this match defensively as I've seen them all season to be honest so I can see that he's having an impact already I do think this could be the first team that he gets or goes he goes down with from the Premier League such as their lack of quality but uh, let's go let's go with the team selection Um, Nathan what did you think there were some changes yeah so three things which were one uh, the the first thing I noticed surprisingly was Ndombele is playing in a two in front of a four, which mm. is sort of exciting, uh, promising, and I think that that bore fruition. And the second thing I noticed was Harry Kane, um, which was worrying to be honest uh, before the game. I'm not going to lie because I was thinking, look, he's the guy that we keep rushing back too early from ankle injury. We're rushing him back pretty soon after an ankle injury um but he looked sharp he looked like he'd had a rest (laughs) because of the Mm -hmm. knock that he took and it does very much appear as if it was only a knock um and essentially in the end we've been cautious rather than uncautious by giving him a game off a game or two games two games game and a half uh, a game and a half off for an ankle knock rather than any kind of strain or sprain or twist um and yeah he looks (laughs) he looks incredible 
um, uh, you know, with, with with missing the game, which suggests that maybe sometimes he should just miss a game for the hell of missing the game. <laughs> um, and then also the third thing is, oh, Davinson Sanchez is starting at the back. Mm. Yeah, that was an interesting one. Also, Buddy, uh, Lucas and Lamella parachuted in. I thought those, I thought those two. I mean, I'm, I'm not their biggest fan, but I thought they deserved it. I thought when they came off the bench against Chelsea and had a bit of an impact, they showed a little bit of oomph, a little bit of drive. So yeah, I think. I think it's um, a pretty good team to put those two in, and I thought they were pretty, pretty useful in the Lucas and Lamella way of of things. They they did a decent job. I could definitely see the logic in their selections against a team that is very deep. You know, not just the defence being deep, but their midfield also very, very deep, leaving lots of space for two players who like to have lots and lots of touches of the ball. They like to feel the ball beneath their feet. They like to run with the ball in in uh, well, in both cases, but particularly in Lucas's case. Mm. Uh, so that kind of worked out well because they did get lots of touches in front of the West Brom packed defence and midfield. Um, they were, I would say, they were they were they were semi successful at achieving things. Lamella looked like he had a bit of thrust to his game and was trying things and was, you know, firing in short passes into the edge of the box. Lucas a little less so, but then he did have a hand in the second goal. Uh, Nathan, what did you think of their performances? It's an interesting one playing the three of them tactically because they are all of a similar profile in that, like they want to receive the ball to feet. They want to run past everyone. <laughs> Son and Lucas want to score and Lamella wants to run past everyone and then make the final pass. <laughs> and it's like uh, Lamella's slight tendency for the pass kind of put him <laughs> in a better position <laughs> than the others. But essentially they would receive the ball, turn and run. Um, and yeah, you've got three players doing that and, and no other sort of dynamism, no other alternative uh, method. So it was, we were doing a great job, surprise, surprise, with Ndombele in a deeper role at getting the ball to them yeah. what we weren't doing such a great job of was was, was doing the pass after that um, yeah. but I mean you know having having three different people who can run at you is also scary for a defender like you can predict what they're going to do but you don't know who's going to get it next and which way they're going to run um, and then of course there's the potential that Harry Kane drops to receive or as we saw a few times in that game and, and for the opening goal that he will receive all the way through to goal from, from a midfield pass uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, we looked more threatening whenever we found Kane instead of an attacking midfielder, which is um, which is kind of funny. But yeah, we got there in the end, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, and Bardi, how nervous were you at half-time? You know, we'd seen definitely an uptick in, in the performance levels, a bit more urgency to the play. We created some chances. I wouldn't say they were they were clear-cut, but they, they were presentable chances. You know, a player of Kane's stature and ability could easily put one of his first half chances away. Um, and then, you know, we go in at nil-nil with West Brom having had a chance of their own just before halftime. Were you, were you fearing the worst? No, I wasn't nervous at all. It was it was only halftime. We'd, we'd had, either through our own creation or just through bad defending by West Brom, we'd had opportunities to score. And I, I didn't think they had the goalkeeper or defence capable to shut us out for another 45 minutes. I, w- I was fairly confident something would break our way. And with, kind of, with, with Kane and Simon on the pitch, someone was going to put the ball away. I, I wasn't nervous at all. Mm-hmm. And then we came out after halftime and for my money, the game just completely turned on three pieces of Kane brilliance. The first, he brings down a ball, turns on it, gets his head up and spots a through ball to Son, which he plays absolutely perfectly to put Son in on the left. Um, difficult angle and um, he, he didn't take advantage of that opportunity. Then his movement and finish for the goal which it kind of looks like uh, it looks a bit basic because essentially he's been left unmarked by the defender but when you when you sort of rewatch it he curves his run so intelligently to stay on side and then points for exactly where he wants Yoibier to play the pass which he, mm-hmm. he did very well by the way um, and, and took it beautifully and then the third which I think is probably the best of a lot in terms of the thing that I just don't think any other player on the pitch could have done. And that is the chest down for Lucas for for Son's goal. Um, uh, 180 degree chest down. It, it was insane. Like, I think it's, it's one thing to sort of have the technique to chest the ball in that way, yep. but to sort of have the vision of how you want it to unfold and for it to happen exactly as you imagine it. That was, that was really seriously impressive from Kane. Um, the best chest I think I've ever seen. <laughs> Is that yeah, fair I, to say? Yeah, I think, I think there was something 
there was something very simple, but something very beautiful about Kane's first goal. Everything was very calculated. He'd missed two mm. opportunities off his left foot in the first half. And it, it just didn't look like him. That second one, he could easily have scuffed at it, but it, he's just got that belief. And his first touch with his left foot was great. And just the way he rolled it in, it, you know, it didn't even have to hit it hard because it was, it was like, um, something you'd see at the crucible. It was just potted into the bottom corner. It was, it was a lovely bit of goal, a lovely bit of goal scoring. And the chest was great. That was pure technique and, and vision and everything else. We talk about Kane's power, but I think people are starting to realize now that he, he's got pretty much everything. If only. He had ankles. He, you know, <laughs> the, maybe it's his ankles that will keep him at Tottenham and end up making him our best ever goal scorer. But yeah, he, he had a great impact. And we spoke a while ago about people complaining about your best player doing best player things. And there's no shame in being the Harry Kane team. There's been football teams throughout the history have been the Maradona team, the Messi team, the Ronaldo team. Ronaldo's had various teams. And that's just what great players do. Great players bend the will of their team towards them. And they they get three points and they score goals and they make a difference. So it's great having came back. And of course, it makes it makes us a better team. And there's, there's no shame in that. I've seen um, people make arguments for Huibier being the man of the match. A couple of people have said Ndombele was the man of the match. But I, I don't think you can look beyond Kane being the best player on the pitch. And I, I say that from the perspective of the things he did being hard being difficult to do the most difficult to accomplish um you know Hubier I thought had a very tidy game but he was doing sort of it's a bit like um it's a bit like you know in diving where if you try a more difficult dive you Hmm. you might achieve a top score but it's actually it's a lower score because it's handicapped by the the lesser difficulty Hubier was absolutely maxing out those low difficulty tasks Mm. and Kane was maxing out the high difficulty tasks uh, so, so for me, he comes out with like an outrageously high uh, overall match rating. I thought he was fantastic. So good to have him back. He, he brightened up, brightened up my Sunday. Um, you know, essentially, I, I strongly believe that if we've got Kane on the pitch, we can get a result. Uh, without him, I am far less hopeful. We just need to wrap him in cotton wool. And like Nathan says, just give him games off every now and again. We can't risk him going down for any length of time. It's uh, it's it's too much. We can't can't cope without him. Um, any other points from from the West Brom game before we have a little chat about Chelsea? Um, I, I think the injury to Oreo might be a problem for us. It's going to force um, our hand into playing Doherty again at right back. Um, he hasn't had the best of time. A lot is going to be relying on him, especially with City coming up and Everton in the cup. So that's a concern for me. I thought Aurier was was very good, and we were talking about Huyberg. He was he was on the receiving end of some beautiful passes from Huyberg. Um, I, yeah, I hope I hope Doherty I hope Doherty takes this opportunity now to establish himself in our in our first eleven. Do we know what um, their prognosis is for Aurier yet? Do we know what's wrong with him? He looked like a calf strain to me. Yeah, yeah, he didn't look comfortable, did he? Mm. That would be that would be a serious loss. Uh, the only other thing I would add on West Brom, and uh, you know this this does feel like kicking a puppy really. But then you strike look terrible. Did you think Dianya? <laughs> I like I really like Stavridis Sanchez is pushing him offside technique. I think that <laughs> yeah. like that seemed that seemed like something that had, that had been um that had been coached that someone in, really? the, in the analysis team had looked at Diagni's tendencies to sort of wait offside and then push his way back onside through a defender and they said okay, he like you know when the ball is out on the right just just push him back. Don't let him. Don't, it's not so much pushing him, but it's don't let him push. Don't you. let him push, push you. Back yeah, and just pin him. Pin, keep him where he want, where he doesn't want to be anymore. Uh, and he scored two goals, and <laughs> neither of them counted for anything. You know, that hadn't occurred to me. And you're right. It happened twice. It happened exactly the same way twice, didn't it? With, yeah. with Davinson marking him each time. So there could there could well be something in that. Good spot, Nathan. Yeah, hadn't thought that. Um, he he was. I thought he was not good. I mean, he got. You could argue that he got into some good positions for scoring goals but I thought his link play was terrible <laughs> but you, of course you're going to be in a good position to score a goal if you're offside if you're offside yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good point, good point. it's like everybody's complaining oh he got he got a header on but he was offside he scored yeah. a goal he was offside you know that's that's the whole point that's why the rule exists um, yeah. I was quite happy to see a back two of Toby and, and Davidson 
get Dyer out the firing line. We'll go into Chelsea, but I think I think Dyer's having a tough time, and it's just good every now and then just to remove them. And I would continue with this uh, partnership as in a back four. Davies is a left back. Keep him somewhere where he's okay. People have been talking on Discord how we've been going in too much on the boiled chicken man, but I think at left back he's 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 reasonably decent at left back. And go back to basics with our with our defense, and that he is a, a playing a back four. Davies had a really nice run for our second goal to, to create the space for Hoyer's mm-hmm. pass to, to gain. So shout out to that. And um, he had a right old tussle with Snodgrass, who I thought was a bit naughty on a couple of occasions. He's a naughty the, boy. Yeah, the the one in the, the the first one by when we were on the attack, Snodgrass went in hard and he misjudged it and Davies landed on him and hurt him. And then in, a little bit later on, he left the boot out and he could have easily taken that boot away, but he didn't. He got a yellow card for it. And I think, I think, well, I'm surprised it didn't go to VAR because we've seen Sun got sent off for something similar. And I, I, I guess that's why Allardyce took him off because he was a red card walking. Did the kick out, didn't he? Did the, mm-hmm. the kick out technique that saw, that saw Sun sent off? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure he kicked out. That's the difference. He kind of just uh-huh. left his leg up. Yeah, um, left but it, it was it was still like it was way worse than what Suchek got sent off for West Ham. And mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I agree. I, I was I, I was quite surprised that it didn't at least warrant another look. Um, he was he was a naughty boy. You're quite right. He was a naughty boy. I thought they, I thought their fullback um, is it Connor Townsend. I thought he I thought he played pretty well at left back. Uh, not a player I know much about, but I was interested in commentary that they said he played, he played in all four divisions. I thought he had a pretty solid performance, but uh, other than Conor Gallagher, no other West Brom players stood out to me until Pereira came on. Pereira's just too good for that team, man. He's he's a really tidy footballer. He'll definitely get snapped up by another club when they go down. On to Chelsea. Oh my God, that game was... I mean, I, I wanted to pull my eyes out. It was horrendous. Um, I mean, I, I, I suppose we all had quite low expectations going into it, but the the passivist passive. Oh my god, what was I going to say? Passivity. Is that the word? Passivity. Go with it. Run with it. The passive <laughs> approach we took to that game was absolutely hopeless. Uh, in the first half, and then in the second half, we decided we didn't want to be passive anymore, and we had to mm. press them. So we tried to press them, except that we still left the same big gap between our attacking lines and our midfield as we did in the first half. And so Chelsea just passed around our press, which, if anything, was worse. <laughs> <laughs> it was um, it was really gappy everywhere. The whole game was the whole game was a mess. I, Jorginho and Kovacic are. Kovacic are two excellent centre midfielders. I think Jorginho is brilliant. And if you give him that much time and space to dictate mm. where the ball moves around, you're, you're in trouble. Mount is a he, gets a... he gets a lot of criticism, but Mount is a good footballer as well. He really and is. And we just, we just let them play for us. But in the end, it was still our own stupidity that, that gave him the goal. I'm not saying we, we would have won had Dyer not done dire things but hmm. we did we did walk we did we did allow Chelsea to play their game uh which is which is very strange we didn't impose anything upon them and that that was what made me sad especially in that first half the penalty decision the, the decision from Dyer to make that challenge really reminded me of Aurier on mm-hmm. Sadio Mane and uh, Aguero and Aguero yeah <laughs> Yeah, we well, you know where he's he's just he just wants to clear the ball and doesn't know where the opponent is, and unfortunately the opponent's quicker than he realizes, gets a foot in and essentially gets mm. clipped on the way through to the ball. And, and Dyer was very rash there. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't a good look for him at all. It's just it's just bad. It's just it's just bad focus. It's you're on the floor, you're out of position, you don't know where you are. Just don't swing a foot. Just don't 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 inv- I mean. You know, in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't a foul because he barely touched him. But we know now the the bar on what is a penalty and what isn't is so low that he just just lays still. If he'd laid still, he would have been a sleeping policeman and he would have caused more trouble for Werner than, than actually trying to clear the ball. It was like you play um, you play football with a, a, a small child and he falls onto the ground and he starts swinging his legs at you. That's what it was. It was it was incredibly stupid. I mean, in truth, we were completely outplayed by Chelsea. It reminded me, I mean, actually, Chelsea against us were a bit like us against West Brom mm-hmm. in the sense that they had complete freedom uh, to, to do what they wanted. They just knocked the ball around at will. They got their wing backs really high and they looked dangerous and they were having these sort of neat interplay, interplays out on the wings. Um, yeah, that was quite a depressing watch to the extent where I then 
vented my spleen against uh, Mourinho on my blog over the weekend, and I, I'm done. I'm absolutely done with um, pretending anymore. I, I want Mourinho gone. I'm, I've got no faith in him to achieve anything. But worse than that, I think he's an appalling man. I really hated. I really hated the comment that he made to a journalist post match. A female journalist, you know, this is a man who has a history of making misogynistic comments. Uh, and I've done some research on this recently. I hadn't, I, I'm kind of ashamed to say that I hadn't made myself fully aware of the the incidents with the, the doctor at Chelsea. Mm, really bad stuff. Um, but when you read deeper into that, it's absolutely awful. And then the comments that he made about Rafa Benitez's wife, uh, not good, not good. And then he tells journalists that she doesn't deserve, uh, her question doesn't deserve an answer. I mean, that's just not befitting of the man that's leading my football club. And I get that in football, you know, we, we, we allow, we forgive so many things. We, we allow so much bad behaviour because it's football and because they're football legends. But this isn't a case of like there's football and then there's reality. Football is reality. It's a part of reality. And we need to hold people to a higher standard. And Mourinho should have been asked to explain that comment. And the club should have asked him to explain that comment because it's really not on. It's really, really, really not on. And I'm just I'm just sick of him now, if I'm completely honest. I'm, I'm ready for him to go. Um, and I, I think the West Brom game will absolutely give him a bit of a reprieve in terms yep. of many fans now will go, yeah, you know, we're fine. Like Bardi's saying, we're fine. We're, we're, we're okay again. And the only way he goes is if we lose, well, if we lose, say, Everton and City. And Wolfsburg. Is that, is that going to be enough? And Wolfsburg, yeah. Yeah, because, Maybe because that's, that's a competition that, that is still obviously key to our season. And I think if we're down one leg against Wolfsburg after a couple more losses, then uh, then yeah, it's... it's um, yeah, I mean, I, I went into the West Brom game thinking, like, if he loses this game, it's four in a row and he probably gets sacked. Um, and I sort of prepped myself thinking... I want West Brom to win it and then the game starts and I go, oh, that what a turn by Ndombele. Oh, that's brilliant by Kane. <laughs> and we score a goal and I cheer and we win the game and I'm happy. And then maybe a couple of hours later, I'm thinking, well, <laughs> maybe maybe long term things would have been better if we lost. But I, I, I can't, as much as I kind of want to, I have a very hard time making myself <laughs> not want Spurs to win during the actual game itself. So it's kind of where I am, yeah. And uh, mm. and, and then I am having... I'm having mixed feelings after after a win, and it's it's weird. It's odd. It's not a place that I've been with Spurs before, um, so it's rough. And yeah, I I'm I'm also obviously <laughs> ready for him to go, and I also dislike him as a person, um, and and don't think that he like he should represent Spurs. But there you go, whatever. Uh, so in terms of thinking of the future, thinking towards the future, we got lots of questions about if he were to leave, because many of these came before the West Brom game, where people were kind of like, yeah, it looks like it looks like he, he will be leaving at some point soon. So this one came from uh, James Powell, who said, I think we're all in the Jose out camp now. Remember, this is pre-West Brom. So thought I'd ask your opinion on potential new managers. Would Eddie Howe be a good choice? And I think he was meaning there in terms of the fact that he's available and could kind of come in now between now and the end of the season. Having said that, I would literally have anyone other than Jose right now. David Pleat till the end of the season would be a laugh, is what James <laughs> adds there. Um, I'm not sure Pleat would be up to it, but um, Nathan, you've been doing some, some work around this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, firstly, I don't think we're all Jose out. Bardi isn't Jose out. I did a Twitter poll um, and I appreciate that like people who follow me are more likely to be uh, against Mourinho mm -hmm. and not everyone who follows me is a Spurs fan and some people are going to find it fun to vote out but um, <laughs> it was an 80% swing for Mourinho to go um, I don't know maybe if you put that poll uh, you know on a larger medium where it can access tens of thousands instead of thousands you get different numbers but like I was surprised by how strong it was. Um, maybe the West Brom result changes a couple of minds, but I don't think it's drastic. So I think a lot of people are ready for him to go. Um, I've been I've been looking at the um, the Spurs Reddit uh, page a lot recently as a way of sort of trying to catch sort of fan opinion. Same. And it's like you open up one thread and the top comment is everybody who's against Mourinho is an idiot and they need to recognize what terrible the squad is. And you go, Oh, okay, this is how people feel. And then you open up the next thread and it's, <laughs> I'm sick. I'm absolutely sick of Mourinho. So it's like, you know, it's clearly all over the place. I think the nature of Reddit is that like, <laughs> it gets like that because the, the first person to write a strongly worded comment <laughs> is the voice of the people. Right. <laughs> um, so, 
Yeah, I don't know. It's all about the place. I think a significant number of people and certainly a significant number of people who listen beyond the first five minutes of this podcast are at least at peace with Mourinho going. Um, so I've started to look at managers. Um, Eddie Howe has not made my shortlist. I don't particularly rate Eddie Howe all that much, I'm afraid. Some people do. Um, he gets linked with the Spurs job <laughs> quite a bit because he played some possession football in the championship, but that hasn't really represented what he's done so much in the Premier League. Um, I think Bournemouth's recruitment has been quite poor most of the time that he's been there, and I think it improved and then they got relegated. So not really sure <laughs> what, <laughs> you know, that doesn't speak great of Eddie Howe. I did a short list. Um, I put it up on the Patreon because it is going to be for subscription videos. And uh, Julian Nagelsmann is leading the poll by far. And my uh, manager, your your manager, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Red Bull fan. Um, but um, it's to spoiler alert. It's no surprise that he's top because he's probably like you know the the hottest property in football mm -hmm. coaching he's 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 <laughs> a little older than me and a little longer younger than you two and he's and he's and he's one of the best football managers in the world uh so i will be putting together a video or two looking in depth at him and then we move moving on to whoever is second in the poll which might be rose or might be hassan hootel um yeah fascinating stuff i can't wait for that 
other than keeping Mourinho to the end of the season, and then we'll see what happens from there. So, Bardi, uh, this is from uh, Dom Signor, who mm. is an ex-sub. Dom says, is there any scenario with losing to Everton and then losing to City in the cup final where you would sack him immediately? So what Dom's getting at there is he's here to win a cup. If he yeah. loses the two domestic cups, is there an argument to sack him immediately at that point? Um, if Perhaps if we're out of the Europa League, then... Then it could be if we're out of the chance of getting in top four, Europa League's gone, all the other cups have gone. Then yeah, but then we're back in the situation like when Man United got rid of um, who they they got rid of Moyes and they gave it to Giggs for a little while. <laughs> like what? Like what? What do you what do you do there? That you just you just accept them and you're just going to tread water for the rest of the season, finish mid table. I think I don't I don't see a way unless we lose every single football match in the next month. There's no way Jose leaves now. It's just not going to happen financially. And yeah, I, I, that's a big thing. I don't see a sack in him right now. There might be a I cl- agree. There might be a clause or something in his contract come summer that might get activated. I agree completely. I think he would seriously have to shit the bed to get sacked at this point. It, things would have to go terribly badly for that to happen. Um, Nathan, speaking of your videos, uh, you, you put together one on automations using uh, a whiteboard and some magnets. Yeah, whiteboards and magnets are, are in right now. They're hot. So I dug out my old dusty whiteboard and magnets. In oh, you you were my... into them before they were cool, were you, Nathan? Thanks for that. Yeah, but shamelessly, now that they're cool again, I've, I've dug mine out. So I'm, I'm not I'm not cool. I'm not a hipster. I'm just I'm still just following the following the 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 pans. Uh, so I thought I'd do a whiteboard video, uh, and I realised that like yeah. Um, a way to explain, because um, so, because I've, I've spoken about like we only have one play. It's Kane drops in, receives the ball, plays over to Sun. Um, so I thought like I, if I keep saying we need other ones, I should actually say what they are. And I realised that the best way to explain that is with the whiteboard. So yeah, I I was sort of unsure about how it would go, but it came to about ten minutes, and it has no match footage, so I could put it on YouTube. <laughs> you know, um, so it's cool to do. It's cool to do another YouTube video. Um, How do people find that? Um, <laughs> we'll put the link uh, on Twitter again in the I show guess. notes. Yeah, in the show notes. Um, and it's really good, by the way, mate. I, I like the style. I like the whiteboard. Uh, I thought you explained the automations, the concept of automations. You explained very well, uh, and the automations themselves are are great. And excitingly, uh, Chris Summersell, who I do the mm. Straight Off the Training Ground podcast with for the X-Subs. Uh, Chris is wanting to do some further work with you on this, which I, I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be really cool. Um, he wants to look at sort of how you would train those automations and he's going to give a bit of a coaching perspective and I think that that would be really, really fun. So we're going to work on a on a follow-up video for that. Nice, nice, nice. So uh, we had a question from David Shoshan. Shoshan? Sorry, David. I, I'm really... <laughs> I just don't know how to say your surname. Um, he says, are you aware of any automation designed to get players who are considered less of a goal threat into a dangerous position as part of an automation? I feel like Spurs could offset their reliance on Son and Kane by using them as decoys more creatively. Huey Pierre, Davis, Winks and centre-backs are often given space in, around, in and around the 18-yard box during open play as defenders are drawn to the two or three consistent goal scorers. If there are any, do you think they could be applicable in our current situation? So I think that the, the, the way maybe the way that we play, or maybe the way that I'm suggesting that we could play um, in a more automation-heavy um, attack, you're essentially putting a lot of eggs into the automation basket, um, and so basically you want those chances ending at the feet of players you can score. Is this the short answer? Um, and so I, I definitely agree that like yeah, the the, the smart play is is using Kane and Son as decoys, using the threats that they've established. Because at the moment, again, because so much of what we do is through Kane and Son, people, teams are prepared to to handle that, to, to double mark both those players up and down the pitch. Um, but if you then use that as, as the next step to create room for others, I think that's really smart. The thing is that it, it would have to be for our, it would have to be for our secondary goal scorers not our tertiary goal scorers. So it would have to be in Dombele and Bergvine, Lucas and Lamella maybe, um, whenever they play. Um, Vinicius, but it couldn't be Hoybier or centre-backs or full-backs. Maybe Yoria, actually, and Doherty. Maybe the right-backs. Um, and maybe I should come up with an automation that involves a right-back arriving late. 
um, which is something that we sort of seen last season a bit. Um, but yeah, it couldn't be Winks or Davies or Hoybier as suggested. It would, it would have to be in Dombley and Bergwijn, really. It could be. So, um, it could be Delhi if if good Delhi oh, yeah. comes back and he does get um, put back into oh, formation. Don't, don't you start with good Delhi. <laughs> Just saying, if he comes back and he plays good, uh, and he's good Delhi, then he would offer offer an option. He would offer a distraction in in that role. You know exactly what you're doing. <laughs> he is he is unbelievable. He is unbelievable. Um, I was going to say that there were a couple of games. I know Brentford was one. I can't think what the other one was where Sissoko was making mm. bursts into the box. Yeah, and 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 it was often as a decoy, but he was found a couple of times and he scored against Brentford, didn't he? He scored. Um, was it Brentford? I'm sure, he scored a header against Brentford. He did. Didn't he? he did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, have... and that was really unexpected. It wasn't something I'd seen from him in probably since his first season with us, to be honest. We um we had a, a pretty good centre midfielder who ended up at Barcelona who was excellent at that. That's <laughs> yes, true. Yeah, he was he wasn't good at much else, but he was excellent at, at causing chaos. He was I think I called him on the fighting cock a tactical smoke grenade. You could just chuck him in, and then you just work off the chaos he creates. Look, there's there's not much I will say about Paulinho in a positive light, but that man could time time a run into the box. He he, he really could. He he knew when to arrive, and that is a skill. That's a genuine skill. Mm. Um, you know, players have made careers of it. Kevin Nolan, that's basically the only good thing he did, and uh, and that kept him in the Premier League for many many years. Clint Dempsey was was amazing at it, and um, Frank Lampard obviously he was he was much better technically, but he he did it. He made a career out of it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Mortimer writes about Christian Eriksen. I thought this was this was quite an interesting one and something we've perhaps not given as much attention as we might have done. So Dan says, I listen to the pod a lot and I don't think our current issues get linked to the fact that we didn't properly replace Eriksen. In Eriksen times, when, we were, when he was out of the team, our performances were so abject and lacked any spark or creativity. These current performances are similar to that, a lack of ideas and the final third. Kane has taken on that role by dropping deeper, but relying on him for goals and creativity is clearly an issue. I see this as our biggest current issue and something that needs to be addressed as soon as possible. Um, I mean, I'll start with you, Nathan, as a massive Christian Eriksen mm. enthusiast. Do you think that we've we've not replaced him? I, I remember at the time we kind of convinced ourselves that between the Celso and Ndombele, we had replaced some of Eriksen's skill set. Yeah, I mean that's kind of more where I am. I see this discussion point a lot. Um, we didn't replace Eriksen. We never replaced Eriksen. We still haven't replaced Eriksen. Um, and yeah, as we sort of mentioned before, while Ndombele and the Celso are less patient, less. Uh, controlling less sort of tempo focused they are able to shift the ball between the lines like Ericsson could and they're able to create chances like Ericsson could um yeah we could probably do with someone who's a bit of a controller um but not in the way that we're playing so much right now anyway um so I don't like again I I think Ericsson was and still is one of the best players in the world I think any team would miss him but I don't think that we've especially failed to replace him to be honest buddy if um i think i feel like i've asked you this before but if we had ericsson now where would he play um I, 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 yeah probably he would be benched um i guess what the thing is kane has discovered this new role because there's no ericsson so would we play kane further up would we stop kane dropping in deep i don't know um i guess i guess you'd play him along you play a midfield three of Fjordberg, and Mbele and ericsson but then I don't think I don't think Mourinho would play that. I think he would look at that and immediately think that doesn't have any any bite. But then again, he did play in midfield too um, against West Brom. I don't know. I think it would be in a in a kind of in the Kane role, but then Kane would be much more of a nine than he is a ten right now. Do you think Bardi that he'll hmm. play that same midfield two against Everton? Um, no, I, I don't know what what Everton how Everton are with injuries, but I know Decore's back. Um, they've been playing Davies and. They've been playing Sigurdsson as well, and Hammers. I think I think Sissoko comes into that midfield. I think we play a three there, and then Endombele goes further up the pitch. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think that's what he'll that's what he'll do for that one. Um, so Matt Borum asks about fear. He says, "Is Jose such a mentalist that he's got the team so afraid to express themselves, which causes them to play within themselves, or is it that Jose is so unadaptable and this generation needs loving, not berating, that he's really finished?" Uh, Nathan, do you think our players are scared? Yeah, um, 
I think that like <laughs> Delhi flicked the ball and it didn't come off, and that was like a a multi week long scandal. Um, if you want players to try things, they need to they need to feel the the freedom to do things and, and express themselves in that kind of way. Uh, I mean, like you can have you can you can have hard lines to an extent, and you can say don't don't do this. Um, but it just seems it just seems too extreme, basically. Um, I wrote a thread recently about these um, seven principles that that sort of gets banded around quite a lot, especially by like you know uh, Twitter users with seven followers and a black and white Jose Mourinho avatar. <laughs> I know the ones you mean. Yeah, and it's it it's from this. Um, unauthorized biography of Mourinho by a man called Diego Torres and it's it's apparently hotly contested um but again people who like Mourinho like the the principles that come from it um should I just find them really quickly yeah please do I've I've not heard this before I'm intrigued okay so one the game is won by the team who commits fewer errors two football favors whoever provokes more errors in the opposition Three, away from home, instead of trying to be superior to the opposition, it's better to encourage their mistakes. Four, whoever has the ball is more likely to make a mistake. Five, whoever renounces possession reduces the possibility of making a mistake. Six, therefore, whoever has the ball has fear. Seven, whoever does not have it is thereby stronger. I mean, I've heard these before. Are these actual quotes or this, is this just a theory by, by this guy? Because I've heard them attributed to Joseph for quite some time. So I think they are, uh, apparently they are, uh, they've come through a player to, to the author of the book. So a player has said, these are what Mourinho. And I think they might have been corroborated. Mm-hmm. Um, the, these, this is what he told us is, is, is the idea. So again, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit whispers. It's a little bit, um, it's not completely substantiated, but um, it's out there. Yeah, I mean, it does. It does sound very Jose, and it is. It's 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 his beliefs in football. They're not beliefs that I that I agree in or that I like to see played at my club. But um, yeah, I, I can see why they were attributed to him because it does, he does seem to set up that way. I think. I think the whole thing about fear is if Jose believes if he if he believes that making mistakes causes you to lose the game. I can see why he put that into his players to to not take not do high risk maneuvers in their own half or when the situation if there's a simple pass on to take the simple pass but to do that simple pass properly. Um yeah I can I guess I can see why this this question about fear does pop up a lot with him. Well yeah I mean I'd I'd love um won't happen but I'd love one of the journalists at a press conference to ask him about those seven principles and find out the truth. Find out whether what his take on those seven principles is. Mm. Okay, he must know it's out there, I assume. Really interesting. I mean, God, if some of it, you kind of go, yeah, that sounds like him. But what was it? Read the fear one again, Nathan. Was it number six? Uh, several of them were about fear. <laughs> so whoever has the ball has fear. Does because, he mean the team or the player? Uh, they, he means the team. So whoever has the ball is more likely to make a mistake. Whoever has the ball has fear. So because they're the team who has the ball is more likely to make a mistake... Therefore, the team who has the ball has fear. Yeah. So what I wrote about on Twitter is that, like, I think that this made a lot of sense 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. But because of the um, increase in in sort of possessional structure systems and counter-pressing systems, this is sort of becoming less and less true uh, as football sort of continues to develop, basically. So as a response to Tiki Taka... Yeah. If you don't have the players to to pull off tiki taka, then fine, this works as an alternative. But when teams have now gone beyond tiki taka and they also have counter pressing, mm. this is is less relevant. Yeah, I can see that. That's um, we need to know more about this. We need to know if this is a thing. We need to know <laughs> if this is a figment of someone's imagination or if this is something Mourinho genuinely instills in players. Um, I'm sure we'll come back to that in the future. Uh, Fergus McKee, this is an interesting one. Fergus says, Have I been sucked into believing the Levy PR and supporting a long-term sustainable approach to growth of the club? Am I giving Spurs' hierarchy a free pass with thinking that lost revenue due to the pandemic is a good reason not to be not to be throwing caution to the wind? Without going all Swiss ramble, do you think Levy and Enoch should be more ambitious in the transfer market? I know we didn't buy anyone in January, but in the three previous windows we acquired 10 plus players. Do you think that was below par, average or above par in terms of ambition? Well, I guess part of the question is, 
did we get our first choice players? And you, you'd probably have to say no. You'd have to say uh, we, we went for Skriniar. We even went for Diaz, if, if you believe the rumours. Mm-hmm. But we certainly went for Skriniar at centre-back and we ended up with Joe Roden. So probably we didn't get the players. I don't know who we wanted at right-back, but I can't imagine Dotti was his absolute first choice. In fact, who was the right-back we were going for? Um, Juventus. We were going for a Juventus right-back, weren't we, at one point? Uh, we were going for a... Um... Oh my goodness, what is his name? We were heavily linked with Castagna, who went to Leicester. Yeah, oh, Castagna as well, yeah. yeah. Oh, um, also the Belgian, the... the um, yes. God, what's his name? And he, he's not very good, so I'm glad we didn't get him. No. Um, <laughs> name's escaping me. Thomas, is it Thomas? Oh, Munier. So much. Munier. Yes, Munier. Oh, Munier. Yeah. I mean, I, I think our, our, our approach to transfers during the summer is not really a sustainable approach to growth because... The players we signed were of a certain age. They weren't players that were going to come in and develop and then we're going to sell them on. They were, they were all 25 and above. Um, I think we probably would have bought some more players in January had we been able to shift players. I think the biggest problem now yes. seems to have is, is selling players. You saw what Arsenal had to do. They basically had to tear up free contracts in order to create a little bit of space in their squad and in their finances to, to get Odegaard in. So, um, I think I think this summer we'll see a bit more movement when players like Rose have gone and other players' contracts are up and then we'll be able to shift them for a little bit more money. I don't think I don't think January was ever going to be a big month for, for splashing out. Nobody did because no one knows when the fact when the fans are coming back and that has a huge impact on on our spending power. But yeah, I don't think I don't think we've been very sustainable. You're not a sustainable club if you're if you're pointing Jose Mourinho. That is not long term growth. That's a um, that's a that's a a painkilling injection to get through a game. It's not a yeah. It's not it's not putting down roots to to achieve something in four or five years time. We were uh, fairly strongly linked with Zeki Shellick, who's gone on to have a, a really good season staying at Lille, and is now being banded again around for for a, a higher, more expensive. I mean, sometimes like you know you <laughs> you can't predict that sort of <clears throat> you can't predict that kind of improvement. There are ways that you can sort of guess at it, uh, but like. I don't know. It, it, <laughs> player transfers are hard. I think that, like, in terms of, to, to to go back to the question, it's like um, every year we turn a profit. Maybe not this year because of the pandemic and the loss sort of uh, in stadium revenue. But every year we we make money for Enig, um, and that's you know that's a valid uh, business model. But I think equally valid would be to invest at a loss um, at the right time. And I think the right time would have been, for example, the the summer of you know 2018. If you if you spend heavily, then uh, if you spend heavily summer 2017, if you know that you have a lot of good assets, if you know that you're poised um, to to go into the tier above, that is the time to to accept making a loss, invest through those means, um, in in the hopes of a, of a return via improvement. Um, windows outside of that not necessarily the case because we can't as a club regularly turn a loss um, year after year after year at all so um, I know we're kind of different from a lot of football clubs in that regard I think Bardi's point about the sales is is such an important one though and I'd love to know if um, if Levy's learnt from the mistakes of the last few windows and what I'm thinking is you know we're not Chelsea we can't just not sell players we can't just keep buying and buying and buying and not sell but in hindsight maybe we could have bought a few and and then once we got them in loaned tried to sell and then if we couldn't sell loan some of the players out that they'd be replacing um you know i've been thinking quite a lot about uh, a post jose Mourinho future and lots of people are very downbeat on spurs at the moment i actually feel really optimistic about our future Uh, for all the reasons nathan mentioned in the last episode that we are just a good team now we're in the top 10 in the Deloitte money league mm-hmm. that means we can be pretty safe in the knowledge that even if we don't finish in the top four this season we'll be there again very soon you know it might not be the season after but it'll be the season after that that's I, I think we're just that good a club with that bigger club that it can be relied upon now um and we've got some really good young players coming through. We just have to sort out those sales. We need one of those summers where the Mourinho stays or goes. We need one of those summers where we just cut a load of the deadwood out. Lamella, Lucas, Dyer, Sanchez, Sissoko, 
Aurier, Dotti, all these players, as far as I'm concerned, can leave and we just buy replacements or promote youth players. And suddenly, suddenly we'll have a much more exciting, uh, uh, believable squad that, that feels like it can achieve something. And I don't think it would require like a huge number of ins. I think we need to be a bit creative. I still don't think we're at a level like City where they could just go and buy or Liverpool where they can just go and plonk down 70 million for Van Dijk or whatever and say, yeah, there's our... There's our championship winning centre back. We're not there, but maybe we could go and throw down thirty million for Tarek Lamptey or twenty five million for Dean Henderson and have long term replacements for key positions sorted out. Yeah, you know, Pedro Neto could be a long term replacement for Son Hyung Min. Just go and get him for forty million now before another big club does. He's abs- He's going to be elite. Just just get him now. Why not? And I feel like if we if we shift some of the hefty wages, the Sissoko, Lucas, Lamella, Aurier wages, then that becomes more doable. And, and if I squint, I can see the shape of the squad come the start of next season, and I like the look of it. Thoughts? That's a lot of um, that's a lot of upheaval. There's a lot of upheaval, and that's going to be a, a season of transition, and that's going to split the fan base again. It's it's unfortunately we're in that position now where. I don't think we don't have time anymore. I, when um, when Arsenal got rid of Wenger, I I said that they're on they're on the the merry-go-round with us now. That it needs to be results, results, results. And I I don't think because we are such a big club now, I don't think we're allowed or we're willing to give somebody twelve months to to do that. Pochettino said it'll be painful, and you have to have the pain, but you have to get the results as well. Otherwise, Nagelsmann is out in a year. He's out in a season as well. If if we have a tough year. I really feel like a manager that good could could turn the current squad into a top four outfit, though. Add a couple of bits of quality in key positions, and I'm getting excited about title challenge. If I'm honest, really, <laughs> yeah. honestly, honestly, I would be, I would be, I would be all in. Yeah, that's the way I feel. I feel good. I feel good about the future. You've been listening to the Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.